Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good evening, everybody. How you all doing? Hope your night is going well. Thanks for joining us. We've got a great show planned for you. And uh, I wanted to open the show by talking about children and watching these court cases. Um, I, I wish this wasn't even a topic that had to be brought up. It's more important as time goes on. Um, so I'm pulling this from a bunch of different outlets, research and discussion of this topic. Should children be watching these trials and these verdicts? Um, so much to unpack. So we're going to just spend the segment talking about it. Uh, basically, racism is real, right? White, white supremacist culture. And uh, it's something that children will experience, unfortunately, from birth. And this is something that everyone needs to have languaging around. Uh, white children, especially, because those are the children that are part of the system um, of white supremacy and racism and uh, part of you know, being anti-racism and deconstructing it and dismantling it is about having the, um, you know, our, our white children better educated around all this and understanding race in America. So even though uh, children of color, black children, white children might not directly witness this, right? It's still part of our culture in uh, personal and larger systemic ways. And this is something that we do need to talk about, right? Always age appropriately though. Um, we're not trying to be colorblind. People say, I don't see color. Well, yes, you literally do, unless you are literally colorblind. But for the rest of us that are not colorblind, we do see color and it does matter and on, on covert and overt um, and often unconscious biases, right? And so it is something we wanna be able to give language to and talk about, talk about it so we can call it out, talk about it so we can do better. So we, what, what the experts are saying is what we need instead is race conscious parenting, where they do analyze things through a, a lens of race. You you know, I wonder what what about whatever we're talking about or what's occurred. I wonder how their whiteness was impacted and or involved in that, or someone's blackness. We do want to be able to think in those terms. You know, again, the larger academic term is intersectionality and intersectional feminism, and just understanding that whatever we're discussing in terms of someone's psychology, experience, socialization, identity, what will matter are their class, their race, their sexual orientation, their gender expression. Those factors do make up. Um, what, 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 what helps create a person's experience. And so we want to be race conscious where we are talking about these things and calling it out. Um, where you talk about race, how you talk about it, celebrate similarities, celebrate differences, expose your children to these differences, 
um, we want children to have an experience of the richness and diversity that is race in our culture. And that's a strength, that difference. We don't need to pretend we don't see it or it's not there. It works for us. It often can also work against us. Um, we want parents to be prepared for these conversations. And so whatever we're talking about, whether it's sex ed, whether it's um, gender and sexual orientation, whether it's racism, uh, please do your homework. And there's a lot of amazing resources that are now available. So, you know, just th- a, few, a, a few key search terms and you can find tons of resources that walk you through how do we bring this up and talk about it. But with the trial being discussed in the newspapers, on social media, on the news, um, it's something that we want to give languaging to. And you can start to talk to children about it, meeting them where they're at, right? Children are going to overhear it. They're going to bump into it. So it's important for parents to be prepared. And of course, always take a, an approach that's developmentally appropriate. You can say something like, and I'm going to pull a quote. They say, hey, I don't know if you're aware, but there's a big thing that's happening in our world on television. Have you heard about the trial? Um, what do you know about it? What do you think about it? What questions might you have? Right. And you just really start to kind of open ended to meet your child where they're at and then basically proceed and talk about what's important. Um, But follow your children's lead. Right. Why is it that they're asking you? What do they understand? Um, But age appropriateness. uh, Here's another quote. I'll pull I caution parents not to consume too much of the trial themselves at one time. I think you certainly have to be aware of what's happening, um, but you want to also look at your own mental health. And I think that that's really important. And I want to share another really important quote that was coming out of some of the research I was looking at where they were asking um, black educators, how do we talk to our black children and our white children about this? And I thought this quote was really powerful. Um, We can't always count on the cops to protect us, especially if you're a person of color. As a parent of children who are of color, I'd talk to my children very early on about how important it is to realize that because you are black in America and because racism exists in America, we cannot assume that police officers are going to always treat us fairly. Um, Not all police officers can be trusted to make good decisions. And I think that that's a really scary reality that has to be conveyed and discussed. Again, we're giving languaging, we're normalizing, we're talking about what's happening. Um, and basically that's, that's the key crux of this all. And I think it's just also, I mean, if we look at it on a larger sense too, it's also about instilling in your child. These are things that are difficult. These are things you need to be able to talk about. I'll need to be able to talk about. And, and in addition to that, whatever else might come up and into the world, right? The more you present, uh, to your child as available and as calm and collected and accessible, they'll continue to circle back if they know that you are a true resource. Um, you don't have to have all the answers immediately. You never will. And it's okay to say, let me get back to you about that. Let me think about that. Let me talk to someone else, right? It's an ongoing conversation, but try to explain to them that diversity exists in our culture. We should celebrate it, right? We should embrace it. But at the same time, there's differences. There's a lot of vast differences. Um, and explain to them that, you know, you have chosen an anti-racist stance, and hopefully they'll, you know, take that themselves into all the activities that they're involved in and you're involved in and just keep it as an ongoing conversation because new things are constantly emerging, you know, and that's the best. That's not the best. We can do more, but that's part of what is required of us um, to be a part of dismantling the system. So, all right, y'all coming up next, we're going to talk about signs that you need a mental health break. Uh, you're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and Odyssey. All right, we're back and uh, we are unpacking this concept called emotional cheating. I, I, I hate this word. I really do. I feel like it's misused, misapplied. I feel like it's often weaponized and used to gaslight someone. Um, so I think that there is some relevance to 
some of the factors within it. And again, we're starting by examining ourselves. Loveline is not about you building up an arsenal of things to use to overexamine, police, or, you know, become toxic for your partner. We're starting by first looking at the relationships we're in, right? And emotional cheating bothers me because sometimes it's used to really defend toxic forms of monogamy or attempts at control or jealousy because it's always healthy to have friends. And it's healthy to have friends of every gender. If you only have friends of one specific gender, well, I'm wondering what that's about. Why do you not have the ability to have a diverse set of creative friends, right? And we, we are allowed, if we're, again, the caveat's always, we're in a healthy relationship with someone we trust that trusts us. So we're friends with our exes, we're friends with every gender, every gender expression. Um, and if you're in a relationship with someone who thinks you can't have friends that are exes or friends of the gender you're attracted to, you're in a toxic, controlling, abusive relationship. And you need to say to your partner, I, I won't honor that boundary, that's not healthy for me. And you continue to have friends with whoever you need to have friends with. And if they don't like that, they can exit the relationship, right? That's a boundary you get to set. We're always talking about boundaries. You have a right to say to your partner, I, I appreciate the boundary you're setting with me, I can't and won't honor that. And, and if that's not going to work for you, I understand that. Because we don't want to be in relationships romantically with people that to be with them means our life gets smaller, right? And more difficult and we're controlled, right? Our lives should get bigger. It should be full of love because a romantic partner has been brought in. So that's what I want to just throw that out there on the front end. And having friendship means having deep intimacy and transparency with these people that we're in relationship to or not. You can have friends that are party friends. I have friends that are ones I go to to just laugh or act stupid. And then I have other friends that I go to for a more thorough and thoughtful sharing and unpacking. I have deep emotional intimacy with everyone in my life that's close to me. I truly do. And that's healthy, right? We're allowed to have deep, intimate, emotional relationships with people, right? Now, the problem that I do agree with that can emerge, right, is when you're building that with someone that you also have attraction to or sexual tension with while being in a primary monogamous relationship. Um, if you can manage it and you and this other person have good boundaries, well, then all's well. But this is, we're going to break down this topic because I want you to go further and say, is that, is that true? Because it's okay to have crushes on friends, it happens. And again, if we're in a healthy relationship, you and the friend have good boundaries, right? But what happens when it's more questionable or what happens when that's getting in the way of your primary partnership, right? Any relationship that gets in the way of other relationships needs to be interrogated and investigated by you honestly to say, what is that about? Why is there not room for all? Why is one getting in the way of others? If your primary partner, husband or wife is getting in the way of your friendships or time with your family, then that's a problem. And the vice versa, if your relationship with your family or friends is getting in the way of your ability to be in a romantic relationship, well then those relationships are a problem. One doesn't necessarily, one's not necessarily more important than the others. I think they all are. Although, We've normalized in our primary relationships, usually making them, like I said, the word primary, right? Um, I'm not opposed to that as long as it doesn't mean you're not available or able to have time spent and emotional intimacy built with other people, right? Because then again, it becomes toxic. Our life gets smaller. It's more about control. And often that's also generally driven by jealousy. And there's no need for that. Again, we can have multiple people in our lives. So threatening or problematic if it's getting in the way or if you feel like it's a way to kind of step closer into some sexuality or romance 
and you're really misusing it, right? So the first point is also every relationship needs to really sit down and talk about what their definition of cheating is because everyone's going to come from a different place with a different definition. And I can't tell you how many couples have never sat down and said, look, we keep using this word monogamy, but what does that really mean? And then I've worked with some couples where I brought it up and they were really afraid to unpack it, which is shocking to me. What is the anxiety about talking about that? Maybe you'll be calling yourself out to yourself or to your partner or calling them out. I don't know. But if you're going to be in a monogamous relationship, please make sure you've sat down and talked about what that means. Or you can't hold the other person accountable to anything because they're off operating off of their definition. And everyone has a different definition for ch of cheating. And I think some of them are quite toxic and problematic. And remember, you have a, you have a right to reject your partner's definition. You have a right to say, that's not mine. Or I don't feel like that's a healthy definition. I'm not comfortable or willing to step into that. And then it becomes an ongoing work in progress. Um, sometimes you need some couples therapy. Sometimes you need to break up. Other times you land somewhere where it feels like everyone's needs are getting met socially and psychologically, right? So again, emotional cheating, you know, it's going to be different for each person, but usually that means when your closeness to this other person, your relationship to them, disrupts your relationship to your primary partner, right? You focus on the connection and building a connection with this other to the detriment of your primary, right? It's about the, to the detriment. That's the problem if it's getting in the way. And if not, well, then you have a really beautiful, intimate life with many people. But if it's disrupting or to the detriment or getting in the way, that's when it's a problem. Um, also, if it's a way to just kind of cross boundaries. Um, so what what are the specific behaviors? And again, every couple gets to decide for themselves. Every individual gets to decide for themselves. You don't have to accept your partner's definition and you don't have to accept an inherited one. They could say, well, that's what I do it. That's how I've always done it. And you have a right to say, but I'm new. I'm different. I don't do it that way. Or we can always do what I call the circle back. You can say, I know we've been doing it this way. I've learned more. I've grown and I want a better, healthier definition. We are allowed to define the rules, regulations, boundaries, ideals, norms, or whatever word you want to use of any relationship at any time. I don't care if you've been married for 20 years. You're allowed to wake up one day and say, I've learned. I've grown. I've transformed. I've changed. I want different. I want better or I want healthier at any time. You're allowed to do that. There's no such thing as, well, this is how we've been doing it, or you knew how it was from the beginning. People grow and change. They do. And if your partner can't be open to these new growing definitions of, of things that you're learning about and transformed around, well, then you've outgrown them. And that's okay. That's part of being in relationships. All right, we're going to take a little break, and we're going to come back and talk about some examples of the um, you know, really problematic forms that uh, emotional cheating can take. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on Odyssey. All right, we're back and we're talking about this uh, punchy, punchy, punchy term called emotional cheating. Again, it's healthy and important as we enter relationships romantically with people, whether marriage, exclusivity, monogamy, that it's a, our life gets bigger because of it, not smaller. It shouldn't mean we're now controlled. We now have all these rules and regulations. Our life's been made harder. Our life has shrunk down. Our life should be made bigger. Someone new has been brought into it, right? And so we're still allowed to have deep, intimate relationships with everyone and anyone of all genders, right? Because that's part of just being a healthy social being because we're in healthy relationships with people that trust us and that we trust. And if not, go work on that or get the heck out. But in a healthy relationship, we're going to have intimacy with a multitude of people. Emotional cheating at its best, because I don't really like the use of that word. I think we can come up with a better word, um, is when the relationships you have with others are getting in the way or are to the detriment of your primary relationship. But again, that goes both ways. Like I said, any relationship that gets in the way of other important ones is a problem. If your marriage is getting in the way of your time with friends and family members, your marriage is a problem. 
if your relationship as a family member or friend is getting in the way through marriage, well then your, your other, that relationship's a problem, right? So what are some signs that uh, maybe something more is going on than just friendship? What are some of the things we need to look at that might be an indicator that maybe we're trying to do more, right, than what we're available for? And again, this is rooted within the context of old school monogamy because we now have a little bit, you know, some more options. People are poly. People are open. People have healthier, more expansive de- definitions of um, monogamy and so it can allow for, for, for like more, right. For, for a multitude of ways of connecting and being with, you know, having people in your life. So, okay, here's the red flag, spending more time talking to or thinking about this person as opposed to your partner. Now, of course you might be going through a rough time with your partner or maybe they're occupied. So that's not necessarily bad. There's times where your partner is going to be busy, immersed in something else, something's going on. And so you're spending more time with someone else. So again, these aren't immediate problems, but these are signs that maybe you want to kind of ask yourself some questions, right? If you're spending more time thinking or talking to this person than your partner. Okay. Also, if you're avoiding mentioning this person's existence or your relationship to them, to your partner. That's either a sign that you're trying to hide and conceal something because I know in my relationship, my partner's aware of all my friends and uh, and is aware of how close and deep our friendships are, right? Um, or it's a sign that you're in an abusive relationship and that your partner's jealous and controlling and then you should just leave because that's emotionally abusive. If your partner isn't supportive, right, or kind, uh, when you bring up that you've spent time with or are talking to these other people, if they're controlling or jealous, it's on them. It's not on you to not have friends or whatnot. It's on them and that's emotional abuse and it's probably time to go unless they're willing to work on that. Um, again, another sign of possible emotional problems is if you know that you're attracted to them, right? Because it's not, not that it's wrong to be attracted to people because that's going to happen. We can have crushes on friends, but it's about if you feel as though you're trying to lean in as much as possible. Like how close can I get emotionally and physically without actually doing something physical? That's a sign that you need to kind of pause and really have a heart to heart with yourself or even this person. Again, if you notice signs of physical chemistry, like we said, um, if you feel as though this relationship is pulling you away emotionally or physically or sexually from your primary Again, you want to ask yourself, what's that about? Is that just a phase? Okay, that happens. Or is it again that I'm now trying to or more interested in building something with this person? Now, again, it's not always about you harming your primary. It's also signs about you harming your friendship with this other person that you're drifting towards. They might only be interested in friendship and maybe you're misusing or manipulating how they're showing up and what's available, what they're providing, right? Like consent, consent exists in friendships too. If someone's just trying to be your friend and you're trying to steal or uh, build or create romance or intimacy or sexuality or force them into it by, I don't know, purposefully bringing up sexual topics or purposefully creating questionable scenarios. Well, that's not really a consensual friendship then because the other person just wants friendship and you keep trying to force ways to eroticize and to bring up erotic topics and things like that. That's not consensual. Um, and again, we have to talk about that in terms of friendships. It's not just about, you know, romance and sex. Um, also, if you're constantly going to this person to complain about your primary, if you have complaints about your primary, you need to go back to your primary. Of course, we process and share those things with our friends. But if you're always talking negatively about your partner to this person, you got to ask yourself, what's that about? Am I trying to bond with this person? Am I trying to drift from my partner? Because you want to make sure you're sharing positive things too. And if you're not willing to share positive things with this friend about your partner, well, then that's a something questionable as well. You have to ask yourself, what's that about? Why are you trying to bond over the negative about a partner? Um, and then finally, just any sense of shutting down in your primary relationship, you know? 
Um, because again, friendship should enhance our lives just like our romantic relationship should. Everything should make our life bigger and, and more healthy and dynamic. And if any relationship is negatively impacting us or shrinking us down or pulling us away from important things, well, something's going on with that, right? So these are just things we want to keep looking at and keep talking about because we're all just trying to build honest, healthy, compassionate relationships where everyone's taken care of. We are not harming anyone. We're completely in consensual relationships where everyone knows what's happening, what's available. We're not misusing anyone or anything. It's really what it's about. Full transparency and full, you know, um, compassion. That's the word. More compassion, the C word. Um, all right, y'all, coming up next, we're going to be sliding into those DMs. If you got a DM for us, drop it in our Loveline IG page in those DMs. Confidential, anonymous, whatever you're wondering about, we're here to answer it for you. So uh, yeah, stick around. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and Odyssey. All right, we are back. And now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. This DM says, hey, Dr. Chris, as with many of us, the time I spent in quarantine allowed for a lot of introspection and solitude. I think that's great. I love the idea of introspection, as long as we're not harming ourselves with it. I think some people call introspection uh, existential dread or panic or anxiety spirals. But if you're just being introspective and you're saying, all right, let me settle down and just think about the world I'm participating in. What am I sustaining and building and creating? And am I living a life in, you know, rooted in my integrity and meaning and pleasure? I love all that. Um, you said, I've, cons I've discovered within myself characteristics that I understand to be negative. Okay. But I, in fact, like about myself. Well, then why are they negative? I'm wondering awake what that use that word means. Um, I am emotionally, oh, here we go. I'm emotionally unavailable in that I have zero need for emotional intimacy. Sex is a recreational sport. Friends are great, but I actively rebuff any outreach from any encounter that has the slightest whiff of romance to it. I love my independence, my freedom, and solitude, and have no desire to engage in compromises, negotiations, or sharing. And I've never felt happier, more centered, or complete. My question is, with the negative connotations to all these traits, should I seek change? Thank you. Bam. <laughs> what, a, what a very clear, uh, value-laden question. Like A lot of the terms you're using have so much social weight to them, so I appreciate I appreciate the spirit of your question because basically you're saying like, I am happy and content with all of these aspects that the world has told me should be bad or wrong, or I should feel bad about or wanting to change. So on, on, uh, how do I, how do I want to say this? Um, uh, in a global response, nothing's wrong. If nothing's wrong, I want to start by saying that there is no right way to live your life. You get to choose and live your life in whatever way you want. Some people choose to live their lives in quick, short bursts, using a lot of drugs and alcohol. That is literally your choice. And my job, as is a job with others, to help you if you ask and want help and to help you reduce harm or to completely um, remove all of that. But some people say, I don't want to stop using drugs and alcohol. I love partying. And I say to them, great. And they say, however, I want to reduce the harm. And I say, great, let's talk about ways to use safer. Let's talk about ways to party and have it have less severity, negative impacts on your life. Like you get to decide what your life is centered in. Some people choose to center their lives in, you know, hatred and bigotry and homophobia. And they work to, you know, remove healthcare rights from trans people. That's disgusting and offensive. And I think they should go to bed in shame because they're actively harming other people and oppressing them. You're not, you're harming no one. 
um, you're allowed to be introspective. You're allowed to be introverted. I'm highly introverted. And that surprises people because I can perform socialization and extroversion quite well. And I can command an entire dinner party's table with attention, but it, I, I don't enjoy that. I prefer quiet one-on-one -on -one deep relationships. I'm the guy at a house party that's off in another room privately with someone having a deep talk where everyone's like, come talk to everyone else. Now nah, we're good. I can't get close to 15 people at once. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, sex is allowed to be something that's recreational for you if that's what you choose. There's no right level of intimacy. Um, I don't want to patronizingly challenge whether or not you actually are content with all this. I, I'm going to trust that you're an adult and you've been introspective and you're realizing that you like a quieter life. Um, here's the thing. We really like to problematize people that aren't like heavily social. We want everyone to have friends and we want to see people out doing things. That's about the person on the outside's anxiety. But some people are more solitary. Um, one of my favorite writers, Carl Jung, who's the father of psychology and has done more than anyone, spent months alone to write, to think, to engage in play in a spiritual practice. I love that. Priests spend a lot of time alone. Athletes spend a lot of time alone. Artists, artists spend hours and days on end with their craft. You know what I mean? We're, we're allowed to do that. My favorite things to do are spend time alone reading and writing. So I'm with you on that. Um, you're allowed to be independent. You're allowed to prioritize freedom. You don't have to socialize. If it's not a problem, it's not a problem. You got my support. That's where that's at. So do you, boo. All right, coming up next, we're going to talk about toxic relationships. What are they? How do we prevent them? How do we make sure we're not the toxic person? Because that's always what the work is, right? Self-assessment first and looking at how we impact others. All right, we'll be back. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on Odyssey. All right, we're back and we're talking about toxic relationships. I bring this up a lot because it's something that is a never ending cycle that I see some people stuck in. And I think again, a lot of things have been normalized where people don't realize certain things are toxic or emotionally abusive. So I'll probably be talking about this almost once a, once a show, once a week or twice a week at least, um, because this is something that keeps coming up and there's so many different ways to look at it. So uh, yeah, we're gonna talk about this and this applies to everyone and anyone. I don't care who the person is in your life. We get to have the same expectations mental health wise on anyone who enters our mental sphere, right? The minute someone steps into a relationship to us in any form, we get to consider how they impact our mental health. And we get to set boundaries around that. And we get to expect that anyone who steps into our life should not have a negative impact on our mental health, right? Neutral to positive. And if it's having a negative impact, you have to really say, look, my emotional health comes first. I need to maybe not work with this person or be friends with this person, or I maybe need to take space from a family member. No one gets a pass. It's not like, oh, well, that's my mom. So it's cool that she's completely toxic and emotionally abusive. And I have a, an emotional hangover for days after I spend time with her or talk to her. No, that, that there's no definition of health with which that falls in there of just hanging in there anyway, right? So everyone gets to have, you get to set boundaries that anyone and everyone, healthy people will understand. And that's the kick, right? Is that in setting a boundary with them, we learn even more about how healthy or unhealthy they are. And so if they're not that healthy and you set a boundary and they grow, awesome. If they're unhealthy and we set a boundary and they push back and fight it and climb over, then maybe it's just time to remove them. That's kind of the, the formula. People are who they are. And when we set boundaries with people, um, that determines whether or not they can remain in our life. If we set a boundary and they listen and they honor and all that, they're safe enough to stay in our life in theory. But if not, then it's just time to let them go right? Because if even setting boundaries doesn't work, then there's just no healthy way to have them in our lives. Because that's always the answer. How do I deal with a problematic, you know, brother? Boundaries. 
letting them know how they can interact with you when and in what ways. And if that works, awesome, high five. But if not, you gotta cut them out. I know it sounds harsh, but our mental health matters. And that also, our mental health impacts our physical health. Please don't think that being around unhealthy relationships doesn't have an impact on literally every system in your body, especially your immune system, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. In turn, also stress that impacts your heart, heart disease, heart, blood pressure. Like all these things are a system. They're all interconnected. So this matters. And we're moving into, we're continuing to move into the new year, really assessing the health of every system that we're a part of and all the people that are around us. And we're demanding better, right? This is why uh, mental health and, and how you center it or don't center is such an act of self-esteem and self-worth. You think you're worth doing all this work. It's difficult. When you set boundaries, you really know you're setting them when you let people down or disappoint them, right? And they're hard, but we have to be willing to deal with that frustration and anger, and we do it anyway. So um, do we know toxic people? Yeah, we sure do. And they're often very difficult. They're often very draining. Push us to our limits. So we're gonna talk about some of the traits that help us familiarize ourselves with toxic people. They're going to do these things. And again, we set a boundary. And what happens after we set a boundary determines whether or not they continue to stay in our life. And that's heavy because some people have had to really set some difficult boundaries or remove really important people from their lives. And I'm so proud of those people. And that can often, that can also happen as a result of identity changes where someone comes out as gay or trans and that automatically maybe shifts how people relate to you and, and who's going to be in your life. Also, when you get sober, that's another big moment where your identity shifts and it really changes who can be in your life and in what ways, right? Saying to someone, hey, I'm no longer interested in socializing with alcohol as a center point, but I'm open to doing this, that, and the other thing. You're setting that boundary and you see how they show up or if they show up at all. Hey, I'm trans. I need you to respect my name and my, my, my pronouns. Please don't dead name me. Call me the name that I was assigned at birth. Again, that's a boundary. Anyone who respects you in your mental health will be like, game on. Of course, I'll call you whatever you need to. I'll call you by your true self. Same thing with coming out as gay or pan or bi, right? People will be like, right on. I will call this person your boyfriend or girlfriend and I will invite them over and honor them, you know, because I honor you. And so we learn about the health of people in our lives based on our identity changing, right? The role that they can play in our life and boundary setting. And again, healthy people in some way will say, thank you for setting that boundary and they'll honor that. I love that when people honor that. Hey, I'm not available tonight. Or hey, don't reach out on weekends. Or hey, it's a little late to be calling me. Or hey, I, unfortunately, I'm overloaded. Can you reach out to someone else for help? And they're like, of course, you know, take care of yourself. We'll talk soon. That's a sign of someone being healthy. Unhealthy is you always do that or I need you, you know, whatever it is, they push, they climb over. We set boundaries, we then have to hold them, right? It's powerful stuff, but it's literally, literally the bedrock of mental and physical health. So I talk about it to nauseam. There's a couple key points that I'm always talking about, right? Mental health, centering it, boundaries, things like self-care, coping mechanisms, our relationships. These are all the powerful factors that are part of that constellation. So let's break down what some of these things are. Uh, we'll get through, I think, like one, and then we'll take a break and come back and kind of go through some more. First one is manipulation. If you feel manipulated by someone, that's toxic. That's a sign that's a toxic person. Um, they're always trying to get people to do what they need them to do, what they want them to do. It's always about them, right? So there's some narcissism in that, right? They use other people to accomplish their goals. People are seen as only available, or people are only seen as being worthwhile based on what they can get from them, right? So there's never going to be equality. It's never going to be about you. It's going to be quite the opposite. So if someone's manipulative or narcissistic like that, 
that's a sign that maybe they're toxic, right? We're always looking to get a little more information. We're not knocking them out just based on one. All right, we got to go to break though. We'll come back, keep talking about this. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and Odyssey. All right, we're back and we're talking about uh, toxic people and we're really talking about what the traits are. And again, you try to set boundaries with these people. Try to do the opposite of what the trait is, right? Try to push them to be better. Maybe they will be, right? That's how we give people that we're in relationships with a chance. We ask for different. We ask for better, right? We set boundaries and they show up. And then we're like, awesome. You're safe to stay in our life. But when we ask for a better or different or set a boundary, if it doesn't change or improve, then it's time to boot them out. I know it sounds harsh, but that's part of mental health is how people impact us and how we impact them. It matters and we hold them accountable to that. We hold ourselves accountable to that because as I'm going through this list, you better be checking in on yourselves. This is not always about the other. Healthy people start by saying, do I do that? Am I that person? In what ways do I need to work on this? So again, if you're manipulative, aka narcissistic, make everything about you and your needs and you're always prioritizing yourself. You're always prioritizing how you feel. You never put yourself out. It's never about the other. These manipulative people, it's not gonna ever be equal or what you want. Okay, so that's one sign of being very toxic. Next, they're very judgmental and critical. They're the person that always goes to the criticism. You come home, you tell them about something that happened, a friend you saw, maybe even a promotion at work, and their first thought is something negative or judgmental about you or the job or what you're sharing with them, right? Um, There's always criticism about you, something you did or didn't do, right? They don't know how to celebrate your successes or, or how you're feeling. And even if they had a letdown or they're in a bad mood, they still should be able to hold space and be a little more emotionally flexible and say, yeah, but I can still celebrate what's going on with you. I'm not going to knock it, judge it, or criticize it. And that can even be things like hobbies or family members. They don't have to like your mom. They don't have to like your friends. They don't have to value that you're into video games, but they have to respect it and they have to respect you right? Healthy people can do both. I neither am interested in that. I might not want to spend time with your family member. I might not want to spend time with your friend, but they have value to you. And so I support you doing so always. I'm not going to judge you and I'm not going to make you feel bad about it. And if they do toxic, you set a boundary. Hey, listen, that's my friend. That's my family member. I like them. You don't, you then don't have to see them, but I want to, and I'm going to need you to be supportive of that. And a healthy person will be like, I love you. Of course If they say anything other than that. We got a problem. Other signs of toxic people, they take no responsibility for themselves or their feelings, right? That is probably one of the number one scary things. They always make it about you and project it on you, right? As you're noticing, there's a lot of self-centeredness and narcissism in toxic people. If you try to point these things out to them, they'll defend themselves and take no responsibility. They're always defending. They never apologize and never go, you know what, you're right. Healthy people will sit there and listen and go, let me think about that. And they'll, they'll agree with some of it. You know, you're right. I should stop doing that. Or I can see where that wouldn't feel good. Let me improve that. That's what someone healthy says. Be that person where someone comes to you and shares something with you that you've hurt them, let them down or disappointed them. See if there's something in there for you to learn. Live from that part first. Speak to that part first. Don't go first to defensiveness. That is making you toxic. Safe relationships are one where we can let the person know how they're impacting us and they'll listen and they'll say, of course, I want to work on changing that. Thank you for telling me versus just cutting me out or telling other friends and gossiping. Thank you for telling me what's going on so I can be aware and I can work on that. That is what it sounds like. Be that person or at least give these other people that opportunity. Also, that's kind of paired with that is they never apologize Because again, that would be them having to step outside of their narcissism or toxicity. That would be them being too vulnerable. It's too vulnerable. Their ego can't handle that. Healthy people can. 
Healthy people are humble enough to say, yeah, I, I, I will do things that are wrong. Healthy people acknowledge that they'll often do things that are wrong and let people down, right? But toxic people won't apologize and they'll always think it's someone else's fault. Yep, and they'll often, ready for this one? And this is when we talk about someone who does narcissistic abuse. Not only will they not apologize, not only can they not tolerate someone forcing self-reflection or self-awareness, but they'll actually try to play the victim role and to get attention or sympathy or deflect by turning it into, and it's kind of a form of gaslighting, that they're the victim actually, right? Taking away your microphone where you're trying to share how you're impacted or what's going on or what you need or who you are or whatever it is. They make it about them. They don't apologize. That's the narcissism, right? That um, never can they handle self-reflection. And that's gonna be one of the hardest personality styles to try to be in a healthy relationship with. Someone who's so fragile, right? So sensitive that you can't ever share anything that might disappoint them or let them down. Oh, that's draining. That's very toxic. That's, that's, one of the, that's a good reason why a lot of people leave. They're like, this is exhausting, right? What else? They're inconsistent. Oh my God. Yeah, that's a hard one. That's a toxic person. You never knew who you're gonna get. You never knew who they're gonna be, right? Perspective, behavior, attitude, whatever it is. Um, another one is uh, toxic people, and this goes back to narcissism. They always wanna be centered and prioritized, right? They're gonna always make you put them first, choose them over someone else, right? Um, they also try to have you cut off other meaningful relationships because they're threatened by that, right? People that are really controlling and really jealous and that are threatened by you going out with the boys or the girls or your friends and they're like feeling angry and they punishing you get home and they're texting and calling and saying, what are you doing? And they're acting out and all that. Oh, that's toxic. Because a healthy person would be like, oh my God, go out with your friends tonight, have so much fun. I'll see you when you get home. I can't wait to hear all about it. And then when you come home, they're smiling because they either rested or relaxed. They're happy when you're happy or they took the time to go do something else. But they don't punish you. They don't make you feel bad. They don't in interrupt your night with texts and calls and they don't shame you. They don't accuse you of anything. If you're in a relationship with someone who's doing that, get out, get out. Or you set that boundary once and you say no more of that. I need you to be a loving, supportive partner. If they can't pull that off, get out. That is so, that's narcissistic abuse. That's such a powerful form of emotional abuse, making you feel bad for having a life outside of them, having relationships with other people. Because again, we're in relationships where we want to be in ones where they trust us and we trust them, right? We shouldn't be made to feel bad that we have a life and it should inspire them to go get one. It should make them happy that we're happy. But the really unhealthy ones, nope, they can't handle that. Uh, we're gonna take a little break and when we come back we're gonna keep talking about signs of uh toxic relationships really it's emotional abuse really it's narcissistic abuse you're listening to love line with dr chris on the new channel q and odyssey all right we're back and uh we, <laughs> we are talking about uh signs that people are toxic right and again i keep saying we're 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 trying to learn about ourselves first like oh man do you do i do this so see if you do these things and then we're looking at whether or not our partner or partners do and if so, we're setting a boundary and calling it out, giving them a chance to grow and change. And if that doesn't happen, we leave because it's emotional abuse. We're not staying in emotionally abusive relationships anymore, right? We're working our way out. We're setting boundaries. We're speaking up. Healthy relationships, there's room for that. And they'll say, oh my God, I never knew. I'd never want you to feel bad. I've never wanted to make your life harder. Thank you for telling me. Anything short of that is not a good thing, right? Because if you're in a relationship, they should be 
happy when you're happy. They should feel good when you feel good, right? Relationships should make our lives better, healthier, not harder. It should take a little bit of work, not a lot of work. If it's taking that much work, you need couples therapy or you need to get the heck out because you're just not compatible and you both have work to do. Uh, what were we saying? We were saying, let's go to this one, making you always defend yourself. Again, that's the whole narcissistic piece of nothing's wrong with me. I'm perfect. I'm too vulnerable. My ego's too fragile. I can't handle any self-reflection or any criticism or request. So I'm always going to play the victim or make it about you, or I'm just going to get angry and shut you down and walk away. What? They never circle back to finish or continue a conversation. They're never willing to sit quiet and, and have you lovingly share with them what you're struggling with. So you as a couple can improve. They're never happy to hear how they can improve. It's always something that's wrong with you, right? They're not interested in your point of view. They're not interested in change. They're not interested in growth. They rage. Often they actually rage and get aggressive when you want to talk about changes that you need from them or the relationship, right? They want to make your world, sm they make your world small. They're threatened by everything and anyone, right? They're cutting you off. Because again, our life should get bigger. It should get better. Someone's been brought in, right? They're really manipulative, right? They're tactics. Oof. Um, and then just finally, we've kind of talked about this. It really brings it full circle and wraps it up. We know we're in a toxic relationship with someone, whether it's a family member, a friend, a colleague, bromance, husband, wife, doesn't matter with a child. They're not caring. They're not supportive. And they don't respect what's important to us. Again, we don't have things in common all the time, but you need to like it because I like it in terms of you have respect for it. You don't have to do it. You don't have to participate in it, but don't knock me for it. You know what I mean? Support, support my interest right? They're happy when you're happy to support your goals. There's a level of like friendship in there, right? That's this whole thing is like healthy relationships have like a friendship, meaning there's an ease, there's a care, there's an ethic, there's compassion. And in these relationships, it feels like nothing ever gets better resolved. The minute something's, I don't know, quieting down or gets a little better, maybe then something new pops up, right? So it's, it's just this saving and fixing and exhaustion. And that's that's like the, the experience. If I had to give one experiential term, toxic people are exhausting. They're draining. You know, I always say before, during, and after. How do you feel before? How do you feel during? How do you feel after? How do you feel when you're about to see them or they call or text? Drained, exhausted? How do you feel while you're on the phone with them or spending time? And how do you feel after walking away? If you're always feeling bad, drained, negative, or exhausted, then it's a sign that they're toxic or you're in a narcissistically abusive relationship. We don't want to feel depleted from our relationships, right? They shouldn't be depleting. None of them, of whatever kind, even family members. Neutral to positive, sometimes hard, sometimes complex, sometimes difficult. But they shouldn't be toxic, they shouldn't be negative, and they shouldn't constantly leave us feeling wiped out and exhausted, right? Depletion is not a good sign. And that's why we are calling it out and giving room for growth and change on both ends. But again, narcissists, they're always going to demand them being centered, right? They're always trying to gain control. It's that control piece. Relationships shouldn't be controlling because we're with people that we trust and that trust us, remember? That's why I bring this up a lot because I think some of these things we're saying are toxic have been normalized. Come, They've come to be expected by family members. Or, you know, someone you've been with for a long time. And sometimes it's even gendered. Oh, well, that's how men are. No, it's not. That is, no, it's not. Demand better. I don't care what someone's gender is. Or that's all women, dot, dot, dot. No, <clears throat> it's not about that. It doesn't matter what someone's gender is. It doesn't matter what their role is in our life. We want to look at how they impact us, right? That, that is the basis of mental health. But I want to just close out this segment by reminding you that 
not everyone's aware of themselves. Not everyone um, knows better, right? Uh, and so we always want to give people a shot. And if they're physically abusive, we're out. But with things that fall under emotional abuse, we want to speak up for ourselves. We want to hold a mirror up and let people see who they are and learn about themselves. And we want to ask for better and set boundaries. And we give them a chance. And that's not a one-time thing, right? We have to circle that block a couple, a block a couple times. We set our boundaries. We hold our boundaries. People have to learn a little bit. But after a length of time, if no improvement or growth has happened, then we can say we did what we can do. And then it's time to move on right? But we don't want to just cut people out immediately. We, we still want to share with them. We want to give them that opportunity. We don't want to triangulate and tell everyone else. We want to have a one-on-one relationship where we go directly to the person. I don't mind people processing with friends to get support, to get advice, to script and figure out how to approach this, but we shouldn't be going to friends to complain and gossip because that's not constructive. That's abuse on your end. We should be talking to our friends and our friends should say, now go back to them and tell them and let them know. That should be the landing point with our friends. Go back to the person, direct, one-on-one. That's how it happens, y'all. And that's hard because often people's question is, how do I skirt around that? You don't. You face it head on. All right, y'all. Coming up next, we're going to be sliding into those DMs. So uh, stick around. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on Odyssey. All right, we're back. And now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. This one says, hey, Dr. Chris, my partner and I recently got into a situation and I genuinely don't know how to feel about it. I do my best to stay on top of my mental health, which I applaud you for because it's a very difficult thing to do, especially in these really busy, difficult times. Um, But this is your question again. But every once in a while, I get incredibly overwhelmed. Okay, that's fair. There's a lot of overwhelming things going on. And remember, part of mental health is being present to what is. And if life is overwhelming, one should feel overwhelmed, right? Mental health isn't about um, always being in a constant, uh, always being in a state of constant neutral uh, groundedness, like, you know, it's natural to respond appropriately to situations, right? If something sad happens, it makes sense to be sad. And that's not pathological or something to get rid of. Like, I really want to drive that home. When sad things happen, we should feel sad. And then the work in mental health isn't about not feeling sad. It's about sitting with that sadness, right? Making meaning out of it, allowing it, normalizing it, not complicating it. Um, it's, you know, mental health is not the removal or absence of what we deem to be culturally negative things. Mental health does include being depressed at times. Mental health does include being anxious at times, right? So if overwhelming things are happening, which they are, one should feel overwhelmed. Um, Back to your question though, I recently had a major panic attack and I was saying things I didn't mean. And I was feeling out of control and borderline suicidal. In these moments, I was obviously not acting rational but I looked to my partner to help me bring back down to earth and he rejected me. He told me it was not his responsibility to help me with this or fix it for me. Even though I've never asked to be fixed, I was just looking for more of a helping hand. I love him very much and of course respect any boundaries he may have, but it scares me that I cannot rely on him when I'm in my darkest mindset. Now I know I'm not supposed to completely rely on him, but my concern is his outright point black rejection point blank rejection of me in these moments. Bam, beautifully said. So complicated though and nuanced Um, because I don't know your partner. I don't know what your partner's experiences of mental health issues. Um, Unfortunately, sometimes we're with someone where our stuff triggers them and they can't be expected to be a support, right? So I wanna kind of talk about this from two different angles. So I'm gonna take the trauma-informed angle first, which is just because 
and, and again, hear this empathetically and we'll get to, you know, the positive spin in a minute, but, um, just because we're struggling with something that doesn't mean that the other people in our lives aren't also in the middle of their own struggle. Right. So it's kind of like when someone says, why is no one there for me right now? My first question is to empathize with that person, but then also at some point get them to get them to a place of questioning, but what might be going on in these other people's lives as to why they can't be right? Like I've been in situations where people are like, oh, I wish you could have shown, showed up better. And I said, okay, but unfortunately I was dealing with the death of my father at that time. And so that was my priority. You weren't going to be able to be. And you have to remember when we're struggling, we have to wonder what, what is going on in the other person. And if, you're, if your partner doesn't have a lot of experience with mental health issues or has been in relationships or with family members where it was thrust upon them and they were overwhelmed by it, this is gonna be something that maybe triggers panic in them. So that has to be the first entry point is you better understanding what your partner's experience is of panic, of anxiety, and of mental health struggles. And you might realize that they can never be a support around that and that you will have to go to others for co-regulation and grounded, groundedness, because this brings up trauma of their own. And that's called being trauma-informed, right? We have to understand what's going on in people's lives and what they're capable of. Now, let's imagine a world where this isn't something that falls under what we just went through. And it just is a matter of them not understanding what partnership from someone who doesn't have issues around this should look like. Well, I'd want them to be there for you. You know, support and co-regulation isn't asking someone to fix you. We should expect, in general, if other people aren't going through their own mental health stuff around what we're going through, we should expect them to be available to support and to listen and to help co-regulate. And again, that's not asking someone to fix you, quite the opposite. So you guys need to sit down and have more of a clarifying talk, you know, because I want to, I want you to better understand what your struggle brought up for them as to why they couldn't be there. And if it turns out again, it's just that they don't understand what it means to be a good partner. You got to talk that through. Um, because I do want you to expect your partner to be there for you. We all have to. That's part of why we get into relationships. Co-regulation, support, companionship, care. And that is a necessary um, expectation. All right, y'all, we got to go. Coming up tomorrow, we're going to be talking about how to deal with some COVID anxiety and also how to plan a very safe COVID road trip for those that are heading out on the road. Check out past episodes of Loveline over at wearechannelq.com. Thanks for hanging out, y'all, and you enjoy the rest of your night. <laughs>